Welcome to Adventology, the podcast dedicated to helping you be ready for Jesus. Here now is the host of Adventology, Travis Walker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Adventology, the podcast designed to help you be ready for Jesus. I hope you are doing well. I know that I am excited. I just finished my Doctor of Ministry uh, intensive uh, this week, and it was kind of the end of one aspect of my doctoral training. Of course, I still have a lot of work to do. I have to uh, finish writing chapters for the dissertation, and I still have some other work I need to do to to accomplish the requirements to finish my doctorate, but it is uh, it was bittersweet to finish the class. I got to spend some time with the other 11 students that I have spent the last four years with, and and that was fun. I mean, we went through the the Zoom class this year again, and uh, that's kind of the way everyone's been doing school recently, it seems like. So, you know, it's part of the new reality of a post-COVID world. But, uh, you know, besides that, I'm excited today to invite a special guest, Dr. Dick Tibbetts, uh, who has worked in the field of behavior and spiritual health for over 40 years. He's a licensed professional mental health counselor, an ordained minister, a certified clinical pastor educator, as well as the author and sought-after speaker. Currently, he is the executive coach for hospital leaders and performance coach for some of the world's premier motorsport racers. He holds a doctorate in psychotherapy from Andover Newton Theological School, as well as a Master's of Divinity from Andrews University. And ultimately, he is the author of the book, Forgive to Live. So I invited him on today to talk about this book and to talk about practical ways that we can implement forgiveness into our life right away. So without further ado, let's get right into the episode. Well, Dick, it is so great to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing? You know, like everyone else, um, I'm a little isolated and, and staying away a little bit, but actually I'm doing well. My health is good and my mental health is good. So I'm, a, I'm one of the fortunate ones. Yes, and uh, you just live up the road from me in Palm Coast, and I'm down here in Daytona Beach. And uh, it's been several years that we've gotten to know each other, and I've always appreciated our conversations. And so uh, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast today. And, and just uh, before we get started, what, what, are, uh, what are you looking forward to this year? What are some of the projects that you're involved in as as you kind of uh, hang out at your house, but I know you're not just twiddling your thumbs. So, so what, what are you looking forward to? Well, this isolation has actually afforded me some time to do some things that are on my to-do list. Um, one of them is I'm actually writing another book and it deals with stress, which is, I think, fitting for what people are going through in this isolation and separation and uncertainty about where this disease is going to go. When will it ever end? And so I'm co-authoring a book with Dr. Nicholas Hall um, entitled The Stress Recovery Effect and basically uh, informing people that 
you know, we can't always control the amount of stress that we have to deal with, but what we can control is how we respond to stress and how quickly we recover from stress. And so I've just completed that book. It's now in the hands of the publisher and it'll be coming out uh, this fall. So that's, that's been exciting for me. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that is, that's amazing. And that you're right. It's completely, um, you know, God's timing there that that project probably the, it was, I, the, it was hatched probably before COVID and, and now it's, it's being completed as, as people are really um, coming out of a stressful time. And even though we're looking forward to the country beginning to open up more and more, um, I still sense that there is a lot of anxiety and fear because of so much change that has happened over the last year. You know, God's timing is just amazing because you're right. This was started before COVID. Um, but during COVID, uh, it's not only the stress of the unknown and uncertainty, but it's also the, the mental um, depression that, that comes from that stress and that sense of feeling helpless and not able to do anything and, and not knowing what to do and that powerlessness that, that can overwhelm someone. So um, the, the principles in this book are, are designed not only to deal with, with the generic stress, but specifically, what do I do when that stress becomes overwhelming? I become discouraged. I get depressed. And so, you know, God's timing is just remarkable. And, and the book is going to be coming out as we get out of this more and more so that people can then know what to do. Yeah. And I know something else you've been involved with, um, at least since I've known you is performance coaching. And a part of that I'm assuming is helping athletes and performers deal with, with stress so that they can calm themselves and, and perform well. So I'm just curious, does that experience coaching, um, does that play into some of your, research and interest in this topic as well? Uh, yes, very much so. In fact, in the book, I have a, um, a chapter entitled Pressure to Perform, in which I share how an athlete deals with the same pressures that we all do, but in a more intense fishbowl, because it, it's, it's either win or go home. I mean, these kids have multi-million dollar sponsorships, and those sponsorships will be dropped quickly if they're not performing at the highest level. So the pressure is intense, immense. And the truth is, if they don't manage that pressure well, they won't perform as well. Because stress gets overwhelming. When we get stressed, we make mistakes. When we get stressed, we do things in retrospect we wish we hadn't have done. And so the higher the stress, the more our mind will blink once in a while. It'll It'll get overwhelmed once in a while, and all of that affects performance. So, um, yeah, I, I go to the racetracks uh, regularly. I'm going next weekend um, on Sunday, and I work with the racers to help them stay calm under pressure, to maintain their confidence, to trust that their preparation has is, is, is not gone away. It's all right there. And, and to simply enjoy what they're doing and go out and do what they do well and not worry about the results. You know, we, we focus on results and we can't control the results. All we can control is the process, what we're doing. And the better our process, the better our training, the better our preparation, the better our results will be. It's, it's a cause and effect. So focusing on the results doesn't gain me anything except anxiety and worry. 
Um, but, you know, that's not only true for athletes. It's true for all of us. You know, we, we want things to be right and we focus on the result and the result isn't what we want it to be. You know, somebody gets upset and I don't want them to get upset. I can, I, it can really affect me. And so go back to the process. Am I, am I understanding the situation? Am I communicating effectively? Am I keeping my emotions in check so that I'm really um, saying what needs to be said and focus on the things that I can control and let go of the things that I can't control? And so that's not only true for athletes, that's true for all of us. Hmm. I like that because I think a focus on the process is applies, like you said, to a lot of other areas of our life. And I would imagine it applies to our topic today, which is forgive to live. Um, because I think a lot of people, when it comes to this topic of forgiveness, they do tend to think of it as a result and not so much as a process. It's like, I just need to forgive. And, um, and that can be overwhelming. That can cause stress that can cause, um, just depression if, if that result isn't happening. And so before we get into some of the details of your book, uh, yeah, just talk a little bit about your journey into that particular topic and, and maybe sharing some, some, some experience from your own life that led into your interest in studying the topic of forgiveness from a, from a more academic point of view. Yeah. So good question. Let me answer that in two parts, one professionally and the other personally, Um, because the personal is what we can all relate to, but the professional, the professional gives that sense of journey and, and, and um, expertise. So uh, my background is uh, I went to seminary, studied theology. I'm an ordained minister, pastored for a number of years, uh, and then returned and got a doctoral degree in psychology. Uh, so I've always been interested in, in the spiritual walk of, of mankind, as well as what's going on in our heads and in our minds. And this really came together for me when I got an invitation to go to Orlando, Florida, and work at Celebration Health, which was an Advent Health hospital in the Disney communication of Celebration. And we were building a hospital there. And and one of the unique things that Disney challenged us with is how can we help people in the non-traditional ways? In other words, beyond medication and surgery. What can we do to help people in a practical way to prevent disease, to help them to live healthier lives? And so I focused on mind, body, and spirit healing. And as I did that, there was a lot of things with mind-body medicine, you know, the ability to to calm yourself, to relax, um, to think positively, to have social support, to eat healthy, to live healthy. But there was very little that we had spiritually other than to pray for the sick. And given that it was in a healthcare environment, which is evidence-based, you know, science says, show me the proof, whereas religion says, have faith. And so I had to intersect those two. How can I merge faith with science in a way that's credible, that speaks both to the faith community, but also speaks to the science community? And so um, I, I settled on doing a research study on looking at forgiveness. And why forgiveness? Well, at that time, Dr. Redford Williams from Duke University had just published a book entitled Anger Kills. 
And in that book, he demonstrated beyond any shadow of a doubt that one of the leading factors of heart disease is retained anger, is resentment. It's holding on to that anger. In fact, his work was so profound that the American Heart Association added anger as a risk factor for heart disease. Mm. Uh, the New England Journal of Medicine published in one of his articles that said anger can actually increase your risk of heart disease tenfold. The New England Journal of Medicine. So here was this profound work on mind-body medicine highlighting anger, except his conclusion about how to treat anger was somewhat thin. He basically said, take an anger management course and learn to control your anger. Well, at the time, most anger management was around expressing your anger, you know, hit the pillow, beat the couch, get it out. But I felt that that wasn't reducing anger, it was simply reinforcing anger. That when you're angry, hit something, strike something, and, and, and that's not what we want to teach. And so I said, you know, I drew upon my theology and I said, you know, forgiveness is God's way of helping us to overcome the hurt and the anger and the suffering. What would happen if we taught people a process of how to forgive? Not just you need to forgive, but here's how you can do it. Mm -hmm. If we teach people that, can we actually reverse their heart disease? Can we actually be a prevention to heart disease? And so invited a group of people who were seeing a physician for stage one hypertension, high blood pressure, heart disease, and invited them into a control group and into an intervention group. The control group simply monitored their blood pressure over a period of two months. The intervention group continued to monitor their blood pressure for the same two-month period, but in addition were, were put into a class where they were taught how to forgive. We didn't teach any other lifestyles. We didn't teach healthy living and improved nutrition. We didn't get them exercising. If they were smoking, we didn't teach them how to quit smoking. We didn't deal with any of the other variabilities. We only taught people how to forgive. And Travis, here's the good news. At the end of the eight weeks, the control group still had the same level of high blood pressure than when they began eight weeks earlier. No change. Well, you'd expect that. If you don't do anything different, you're not going to get any change. So that worked. But here's what else worked. People who learned how to forgive and practice forgiveness over a two-month period, we saw a clinically and statistically significant reduction in blood pressure. In fact, people who had elevated anger before the program began actually saw a reduction in their blood pressure from stage one hypertension to normal blood pressure. Wow. We were actually not only able to prevent increased blood pressure, but we were able to reverse elevated blood pressure back to normal. That's the clinical power that we were able to demonstrate that forgiveness can do in your life. Wow. And, and then you also, um, you know, I know when I've, I've actually, you know, I have your book and I've in, been in, in your um, sessions because you have a, um, 
a seminar that goes along with the book Forgive to Live. And I can yes. remember part of, the, of your presentations, you also share a personal journey with forgiveness as well um, that, that connects with this clinical connection. So, uh, yeah, share a little bit about that too, if you don't mind. Yeah. So the professional gives you the credibility. So because I did the hard work of research uh, using uh, the proven techniques of control group and intervention, collecting data, hard metrics, and showing that the data really changed, um, at a professional level, I was invited to speak at uh, Harvard Medical Center, the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, um, uh, John Hopkins Hospital in Washington, D.C., Duke University in Carolinas, um, Stanford University out in California, and people were interested in this. So, so that kind of gives you credibility. But you, you know something, Travis, the truth is people want to know, does it work? And, and really what convinces them is when they hear stories of people's experiences, their lives changed. And so forgiveness is not only something that I have taught people but forgiveness is something that I've experienced. And so let me share with you uh, my personal journey. I was working in an organization, a wonderful uh, Christian organization. I'd been there for 10 years. I had grown in the organization. I continued to get stellar uh, performance evaluation reports. Um, um, the CEO of the company uh, appreciated what I did and grew me both in title and salary, but but also an influence in the organization. It was a wonderful experience. And then the organization hit tough economic times. And, and so they had to downsize. They had to let people go. Well, they weren't going to let everybody go. They just let select people go. And ironically, almost unpredictably, I would have never guessed it. I was called into my boss's office one morning and he sat down and never even looked at me. He simply had a sheet of paper in front of me that he read from. And the paper said, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the, at the end of that paragraph, it said, your services will no longer be required. We are um, terminating your employment due to our re-engineering process, whatever all that meant. But the bottom line was go up to your office immediately, put all your personal items in a box and leave go. Don't come back on campus. Mm. No farewell party. No goodbye. We appreciate you. Just disappear. Go away. So I packed up my box and I went home that day. And and Travis, I have to tell you, it started hitting me. I, I felt some anger surging. These are people that I like. These are people I thought I was friends with. And they just simply tell me, go away, disappear, get out of here. That felt cruel. It felt mean. And you know what? I felt angry. Mm -hmm. and, and that anger didn't go away. The next day, the next day, the next week, the next month, it lingered. And, and, and I developed what I call in my book a grievance story. It's a story of hurt and pain that, that gets repeated in my head over and over. You know, I'm not going to work anywhere. I'm, not, I'm sitting at home all day with nothing to do. So all I can do is think about how unfair that was and how mean people were to do that to me. And, and that story kept building and building. The problem was it, it was affecting me. You know, I thought I was punishing them for the mean things they did to me by holding this anger at them. But 
I was the one that was suffering. You know, they were going back to work. Their life was going on unusual, but I'm sitting at home getting worse and worse. And because I'm not happy, because I'm upset, I'm eating more, uh, I'm gaining weight. Um, I'm not my usual positive self. I'm kind of snippy. I get angry quickly. I mean, this thing is taking me downhill and downhill rapidly. And, and Travis, here's the problem. If I don't figure this out, who's going to want to hire me? Right. I can see it in a job interview now. So tell me about your last job. Oh, yeah. Well, let me tell you about that last job. Those no goods. They, Well, <laughs> you talk like that and no one's going to hire you. And And the truth was, I was in my early 40s at the time. I needed to go back to work. I needed to figure this out. And yet I was trapped. I didn't know what to do. So I started reaching into my background and saying, what can help me? Is there anything that can get me out of this trap? Because I can't stay here. I'm the one that's suffering. They did this to me, but I'm suffering. And, you know, after a month or two, I finally figured out they're not going to do anything to help me. They've moved on. It's now my problem. And I can blame them all I want to. But the truth is, it's my problem. And so, Travis, this is where I stumbled on something called forgiveness. Now, I knew about forgiveness. I studied in the seminary. I heard sermons about how important it is you should forgive. But I realized that, you know what, this isn't just theology or theoretical. This is practical. I need to figure this out because if I can't forgive, if I can't let this go, my life's in big trouble. And so that was my personal journey to start studying forgiveness, not from a theoretical point of view or not from a sermon point of view. You need to forgive. God requires us to forgive. But from a very personal, practical point of view, how do I forgive and how does that help me get out of this hole that I'm in? Hmm. So what did you begin to do? Did you, was it, did you start reaching out to other people? Did you, you know, embark on a, on a personal study? Did, you know, were, were you, you know, when you look back at your emotional condition at the time, um, would you, would you classify that you were depressed or, I mean, what were some of the, the, the factors that kind of led you to the moment of truth where you're like, Hey, I, if I don't do something about this, this is going to consume me. Yeah. So, um, some of the, um, outcomes of depression is lack of energy, lack of motivation. You tend to want to just sit by yourself kind of isolation from others. When you're depressed, you don't want to hear other people telling you what's wrong with you. Um, um, lifestyle changes, you know, you're, when you're depressed, you're not exercising, you're not getting out and doing things. Uh, dietary changes, you're eating more junk food because that's a reward. And when you're depressed, you need something going for you. So you at least eat something you enjoy and you feel good about that, right? Right. So I had all those symptoms, truth be known. So what helped me to get out? Well, I had a friend who, who, um, I worked with at this organization that they retained him. And uh, I kind of resented that because we were both um, high performers. We were both hard workers. And why is it that he stayed with his job and I got fired? 
And so I didn't reach out to him because I kind of resented him a little bit. Not, not because he did anything wrong. He didn't do anything wrong, but just, you know, it didn't seem to be fair that he had his job and I didn't. And so he reached out to me, thank goodness. And he called me and how you doing? Well, because we were such good friends, I chose to be honest with him. Mm. You know, other people, I wasn't as honest. They said, how you doing? Fine. You know, I don't want them to pity me. I don't want them to feel sorry for me. So when they say, how you doing? I'm doing fine, but I wasn't doing fine. So I decided with, with this individual, um, I'll call him Peter, uh, with Peter, I decided that I would just be honest. And I said, you know, I'm not doing well. And you know what, because he was a friend, he didn't judge me. He didn't say, well, do something about it. You know, he listened and not only did he listen, but he cared. And so that gave me some hope that, you know what, there are people who see me having value. Not everybody sees me as trash to be thrown away and gotten rid of. And I built on that. And I said, you know, if he can value me, maybe I can value myself. And, you know, that's where forgiveness begins. It begins with a sense that I'm worth it. Because if I don't think I'm worth it, then I'm not worth forgiveness. Mm. I'm not worth being forgiven. Right. And I was feeling that. But as, as my friend, uh, Peter, um, communicated to me that we were still friends. He cared about me. I began to realize that I needed to care for myself. And, and I, and I, and I come to the conclusion that if I'm to get out of this hole, forgiveness is the way. Now, how did I come to that conclusion? Because I was holding on to the resentment. I was blaming others for my problems. I was seeing my life as their fault. And that was keeping me trapped. Because the bottom line is if my circumstances were created by them, then they need to do something to, to improve my circumstances. Well, well, that's not very healthy thinking because most people don't want to deal with all the, the painful stuff. They just want to move on. And so that's what a lot of my friends did. They just moved on and, 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 and left me. So I realized that if it is to be, it's up to me. Mm. And I have to do something about this. And so I made the decision that I'm going to start to forgive as a way of letting this go, as a way of moving on. Well, from that decision to forgive, which, by the way, is the first step of forgiveness, that's you, you've got to decide to forgive. No one else can tell you you need to forgive. You have to make that choice. But, but once you choose to forgive, what do you do next? Yeah. You know, what is forgiveness? What, so I had to go back and, and integrate the behavioral cognitive psychology that I learned, which is what's going on in my head and what are the actions I need to take as a result, and apply that discipline to my theology of forgiveness, which is that we need to forgive. But you know what, Travis, when, as I reread the Bible, as I, as I played back sermons, I got a lot of messages that I should forgive, but very little instruction about how, how to, to forgive. forgive. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so that's, that's, that's so, I, man, it's so true because it's, it's interesting. Obviously I've worked for the church, um, you know, 16 years now and I've pastored um, four districts and a total of, I think nine churches in, those, in that time. Mm-hmm. And I would say that forgiveness 
of course, if you were going to say, what is the, the core principle of Christianity, or at least one of the core principles of Christianity, it's, it's that God forgives, right? And, and, and that's like, I mean, we teach that to our little kids. You know, when they're growing up, that's one of the first principles. We, we teach them that God loves us so much that, that he's willing to forgive us if we just confess our sins and, and he's faithful mm-hmm. and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, so we talk about this as, the, as a central pillar of, of our faith. And yet, I think we take it for granted because every church I've pastored, most of the issues um, with even within Christianity, uh, and and that's not even looking outside the church, are a result of an unwillingness to forgive or a taking forgiveness for granted, or like you said, not knowing actually how to do it once you're faced with a grievance, like you mentioned in the book, the grievance story. But it's, and and some grievance stories are pretty intense, and uh, and so this concept of just hey, you know, if you if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. And then we, we teach all these stories and I've preached them. You know, I preached the story of the, uh, of the servant who, you know, was forgiven 10,000 talents, you know, and then he, he, he threw his brother in jail for, 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 uh, for 300 denarii of, of debt, you know, and, and, and the concept was, you know, if you don't forgive uh, your brother, then this big debt isn't going to be forgiven you. So that can also add a little bit of shame, um, and uh, fear to people who who have this concept and yet are struggling to forgive. So it can it can build upon itself to the point that people get almost hopeless. So yeah, let's let's talk about that a little bit. Like how how do they you know once they make that decision, um, what what are some of the steps that they need to take to move into that direction? Yeah. So let me just uh, really highlight the importance of forgiveness in Christianity. And then we'll talk about how to move it because I think forgiveness should attract us, not be used as a stick to beat us. Right. And and here's the attraction of forgiveness. You know, the Bible teaches that we all, we live in a world of sin and that sin doesn't just exist out there. It exists in my family, in my church, in my neighborhood. And because of that, People are going to hurt other people, either intentionally or unintentionally. And when I get hurt, you know, in psychology, we learn that hurt and anger are two sides of the same coin. When I get hurt, not only does it hurt, but it upsets me. And and as these things happen to me, I've got to find a way of dealing with them, because if I don't, they build up inside of me. Christianity is unique in that it, it, it addresses how to solve the sin problem in a way that's different from every other religion of the world. Every religion in the world, from east to west and north and south, every religion in the world teaches forgiveness. So it's a universal spiritual principle. And that's why I can teach forgiveness to people, no matter what their faith background, or even if they don't have a faith background. Mm -hmm. The principle of forgiveness is universal. The process of forgiveness is universal. But there is something very unique to the Christian aspect of forgiveness in that in Christianity and in Christianity alone, does God die for us so that we can be forgiven? Mm. No other religion has God dying for us. And and to me, that's the compelling power of, of the Christian teaching on forgiveness is that God believes in this so much. And he loves us so much 
that he was willing to come down to this earth and die for us because without his death, there would be no forgiveness of sin. So when I think of forgiveness, I always go back to my roots and heritage and say, you know what? This is powerful because this is something that is the most meaningful thing that Christ could ever do for us. And so I start from a position of empowerment. God gave me this gift. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to. I simply act on it because God knew that without it, I would have no hope of not only eternal life, but no hope for happiness. So my starting point, my motivation for forgiveness is because God loved me, I need to take care of myself and not hurt myself because someone else has hurt me. I therefore then make the choice to forgive. It's a choice. You know, I can choose to forgive or I can choose not to forgive. It is my choice, but it's a choice I need to make. I I like to frame the choice in this kind of Shakespearean language, if you will. To forgive or not to forgive, that is the question. And in fact, it is the question. When you've been hurt, you have one choice to make. Will I forgive it or will I not forgive it? That's the only thing you have to consider. Mm. Now, let me help you with that a little bit. You may not be ready to forgive it right now. You're so overwhelmed with the hurt. It's so fresh and raw. And I say, that's okay. Don't don't beat yourself up. Just recognize that a time will come when you realize that you are the problem. You are the one that's holding on to this. And therefore, you have the keys in your hand to escape it. And that key is to forgive. So when you're ready to forgive, it's time to forgive. So I want to encourage people not to let others tell you what you should do or not do because they don't know. They're not in your shoes. But what I do know is that you're never going to find release from the overwhelming, chronic, constant repetition of a story that's damaging to you, whether it's a divorce you went through, a loss of job you went through, a child that, that rebels and gets into trouble, a neighbor who doesn't talk to you anymore, a boss who who terminated your employment, whatever your reason is, and there are many, and and everyone has experiences of being hurt and disappointed, don't hold on to it. You know, blame is Satan's deception. He started right from the beginning when Adam and Eve first sinned. What did they first do? Did they they turn to Christ's forgiveness? No, they turned to blame. Mm. Adam said, this woman... And Eve said, this serpent, they pointed their fingers elsewhere. And and I'll tell you, Satan smiles when we live our life in the life of blaming others for our problems. Because blame doesn't solve problems. It just keeps perpetuating them. Forgiveness solves problems. Yeah, I really like that because, and just kind of going back to what you were saying about the uniqueness of Christianity um, and the fact that we not only have a God who forgives, but he demonstrated that love um, in the most ultimate way possible by, by giving his life to offer that forgiveness to us. And as I was listening to you, I was thinking, you know, when people say, oh, I have to forgive or you have to forgive, that sometimes what people forget, we have to receive that forgiveness in order to forgive, right? So it's not possible, I don't think anyway, to really truly forgive without first receiving forgiveness and, and, and recognizing how much we've been forgiven. And, uh, and so I think sometimes in, inadvertently 
that part of the process of receiving forgiveness and, and really contemplating the matchless love of God for us can be minimized in the process and it can make it even harder to to think about forgiving someone else. So just how does somebody really receive forgiveness? I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that was part of your book, but because it was, but just from your own perspective, like, you know, if somebody doesn't feel forgiven, um, what are some things that you would recommend before they start even considering forgiving someone else potentially? Yes, good, good point, Travis. So, so there are two sides to forgiveness, right? Mm-hmm. I need to be forgiven and I need to forgive others. Right. And they work hand in hand, by the way. Um, they're synergistic. One helps the other. So, so let's talk about my need for forgiveness. So why do I feel the need for forgiveness? It's because I've done something wrong. I've done something that hurts someone else. I've done something. Um, or it's, it's my own perfectionism. You know, I've always been told you can do better. You need to do it right. You know, you don't, don't do something halfway. You can do better than that. And I soon begin to feel like I can't do anything good enough. So perfectionism can undermine my sense of worth. Other people's messages to me can undermine my sense of worth. Other people treat, mistreating me can make me feel like I must not be very important for people to treat me that way. And all of these variables have the effect of undermining my self-worth. I don't feel good about myself. I feel terrible about myself. I don't feel I'm a good person. And, and, you know, the Bible says that we can only love others when we love ourselves. Well, we can only love ourselves when we forgive ourselves. Right. And so I encourage people that if you're feeling any of those feelings that I just identified, that you need to forgive yourself. And, and the first step is to realize I need to forgive myself. So, but, but here's the limitation of forgiving yourself. You know, there's a whole field called self-psychology where you can do it all. Well, I think with forgiveness, there is some self-forgiving I can do. I need to do it to get the flywheel turning, to get the momentum going. But the truth is, I can't forgive my own sins. Only Christ can forgive my sins. I can't, you know, once you drive a nail into a piece of wood and you pull, you can't just pull the nail out and say, there, it's all better. No, the hole is still there. Right. And so Christ needs to forgive those holes that I create in my sins against others and against myself. But here's the good news, Travis. He will do that. He is waiting to do that. He doesn't say, well, you know, if you get just a little better, then then I'll, I'll consider it. He never says that. The moment we reach out to him for forgiveness, he is instantly there with his arms wide open and saying, I forgive you. Mm. And you know something? Here's my experience. The more I felt the forgiveness coming from Christ towards me, the more I realized what a blessing this is. How much more blessing could it be if I complete the forgiveness process and not only receive it, but also give it. Yeah. But doesn't the Bible teach it's more blessed to give than to receive? Well, here's the truth. I was as equally, if not more blessed by forgiving others than I was by receiving the forgiveness that comes my way. Truly I was because as I began to forgive others, I began to experience healing. The pain started reducing, the resentment started going away. And so 
I think it's important that we understand the process of forgiveness so that we can receive the benefits of forgiveness. And, and I know that's what our listeners want to hear. So um, let's talk about briefly the, the process of forgiveness. So as we talk about the process of forgiveness, um, I want to just say one thing about what forgiveness is not, because most people think they know what forgiveness is, and they go down that pathway, and it doesn't get them the result. So the most common definition of forgiveness, and by the way, all of our listeners, I have no doubt, know this definition, and it is forgive and forget. Most of us believe that forgiveness is a process of forgetting. Mm. You know, I, want, I need to move beyond this. You know, I've heard people say, just let it go. Forget it. You know, you're, you're holding on to it and it's not doing you any good. And here's the dilemma. The harder I try to forget, the more I remember. <laughs> because the very process of trying to forget something is to think about it. And to think about it is to recall it. And, and I get in this vicious loop. So let me state from the outset that forgiveness is not forgetting. Mm-hmm. It's very important we understand that. Well, some people might say, well, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. If I don't forget, then it's always going to be there. And if it's always there, I'm always going to suffer. And I say, no. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Rather, forgiveness is remembering in a different way. So what does that mean? How do we remember in a different way? Well, here's where I want to bring in the process of reframing. Reframing is seeing something initially one way, but eventually seeing that same thing in a different way or from a different perspective. Reframing. Let, let's, let's, let me give the listeners a visual image of that. So in the world of art, pictures, artwork, they're all framed. Interesting. Why do we frame pictures? Why do we think that's important? Well, it comes from the notion originally when frames were made is that the artist wanted you to, to, to not look at everything around you, but to focus your attention on what's going on in that picture. Ignore everything else that's going on and focus your attention. And as you look at that picture, then the artist places things in that picture to, to help give you a point of view, a reference point to help you to see the world as the artist wants you to see it. So it's either bright and cheery, it's dark and dreary. You know, the artist paints the picture, right? But once we have that picture framed, then that's how we see that world. Well, we do the same thing in life. You know, I can have a real happy day, everything's going good, and then something bad happens and all of a sudden my day is terrible. Why? Because I'm focusing on the bad thing that happened. You see, our life is determined by the things we focus upon. And if I focus on the bad things, the wrong things that happen to me, then my life soon becomes overwhelmed by those things. It becomes darkened because that's how I see the world. You can choose how you see the world by what you choose to focus on. Mm -hmm. So let me give it a very practical example. I can have a best friend that I enjoy. We do all kinds of things together. And why do I like that person? Because I'm focusing on the things about that person that I like. Um, People who are dating do this all the time. When you fall in love with someone, what do you do? You focus on all the wonderful attributes of that person. 
we have an expression for that. It's called love is blind. We only see the good things. But when something bad happens, we change our focus from the good things about that person to the bad things. And then we only see the bad about them. You know, Travis, I, I did counseling for a number of years and I did a lot of marriage counseling. It was amazing. I would talk to a couple who, who fell in love and actually loved each other so much they got married. And now they're sitting in my office and they hate each other. They can't stand each other. And, and here's a secret. The other person didn't change that much. What changed is your view of that other person, your focus. And you went from focusing on all the good things they did to focusing on all the bad things they do. So the first step of forgiveness is to choose to forgive. The second step is to reframe how I see the other person. And here's the ingredients that are critical into that reframing process. Be careful of all or nothing thinking. Every human being is a mixture of good and bad. No one is all good. In fact, the Bible says that no one is perfect. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So no one's all good. And neither is anyone all bad. We're all a mixture and a degree of good and bad. And you know what? What we see in the other person will depend on what we focus in the other person. Here's, here's my clue. The person I don't like that I'm focusing on all their bad attributes is someone else's best friend. Mm. <laughs> Go figure. I don't like them because I'm focusing on their bad attributes and someone else likes them because they're focusing on their good attributes. Forgiveness is a process of letting go of the bad and embracing the good. Letting go of those stories that overwhelm me, reframing that so that I begin to see some good characteristics of that person. I begin to see things as good and bad. And, and, and here's the trick. Every step of reprocessing that thought changes what's in the picture. So that the picture that I saw last year is no longer the picture that I see this year, which will be no longer the picture of next year. And so I move from a life of darkness and hurt and pain to a life of hope, a life of possibility, a life that forgiveness can deliver because I'm letting go of those things that hold me back and I'm embracing those things that can move me forward. Mm. Yeah, and from a Christian point of view, I would think that part of that process would be you know, understanding that God loves this person, you know, and that, um, you know, that you were saying, look, they have a best friend, but I think also, you know, there's this aspect of understanding that they have a backstory and they have, they have, um, things that have happened to them, you know, that not to give you pity or necessary, but, but I think, you know, to some degree, at least for myself, I, when I've been wronged or hurt by somebody, I try to, you know, think about what, what brought them to that point. Not that it does away with the sting of what they said or did to me, but if I can view them, um, as, as, a with compassion somehow, um, it 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 gives me the ability to forgive where 
um, if I, if, like I said, if I just view them as, as the um, enemy and, and like you were saying, there's no good in them at all. You know, they're, they're from the devil. And, yeah. and, and that's what I hear sometimes, at least I've experienced when someone is angry at me, it's like, they're, they're looking at me like I'm the devil. <laughs> and, uh, and that's, that's that black and white thinking that you were talking about. Yeah, it really, you know, you, you said it right. It really is a matter of changing my perspective. And one of the key things that changes my perspective is that if God loves that person, then why am I hating them? Do I disagree with God? Do I think, hey, God, you just don't know him as well as I do. If you knew him as well as I do, you'd hate him too. Well, no, God doesn't do that. And so forgiveness changes my perspective. And once I change my perspective, you use the term, the backstory. People do things not necessarily because they're wanting to mess up my life, but they do things because their life is messed up. Right. So if they've been abused as a child, guess what? They're more likely to be abusive as an adult. That's not necessarily personal against me. That's the way they are. And so forgiveness is about depersonalizing things. People, I'm not the center of the universe. Mm. People aren't all doing things to me because of who I am. They're doing things to me because of who they are. And that's perspective. And as I can change my perspective, I can see them as sinners too that are struggling with life. And so, you know what? I wish they hadn't done that to me. It hurt what they did to me. Right. But that doesn't define who I am. Right. That defines who they are. So why let why should I let it change me? I need to let it go. You see, forgiveness is a process of reframing, and then once reframed, letting it go. The old picture doesn't dominate my life anymore. I'm letting it go. There's a new picture that dominates my life. And the new picture is based on forgiveness. A, God forgives me. No matter how terrible I am, he forgives me. B, I forgive others. No matter how terrible they are, I forgive them. And when I forgive, I'm set free. I can move on. When I don't forgive, I am stuck in the past, and I'm stuck in that same process of repeating. Travis, you've been a pastor. You, you know, you visited church members' homes, and they, re, they share a story with you of how their life has been damaged and ruined. And it's so powerful that you're thinking, wow we got to do something about this. You know, this, this has to change. And you say, so, so when did this happen? And they said, well, it happened 20 years ago. Wow. It happened 20 years ago, but they're still living emotionally like it happened today. That is destructive. And that will hurt your mental health. That will hurt your physical health. And that will hurt your spiritual health. We have to intervene. We have to teach people about forgiveness because it, changes lives. Mm. So this is a process, right? So it's not something that um, if somebody says, well, I forgave them, but yet why am I still, why does this resentment come back later on? Um, And what I hear you saying is, yeah, you're going to have to continue to reframe it and let it go. It's not something that you do just one time. And, and so what is the, is there a power to, I noticed in the videos that, that you did with um, the Southern Pacific division or union 
not sure, but it was from Australia, New Zealand. Yeah. You you had um, a lot of stories of other people forgiving, and and how how important is it to to hear those stories and to hear the the experience of other people's when we're dealing with our own trauma and trying to work through some of the damage that has been done to us. Great question. It reminds me of of Peter's question when he went to Christ and he said to Christ, you know, um, I'm, I'm getting this forgiveness thing. So how many times should I forgive? Right. Um, seven times. And of course, seven wasn't a random number. Seven was the number of perfection. So if I forgive seven times over done and Jesus said, no, you need to understand forgiveness is not just the words. It's not a one-time event. Forgiveness is a process. And, and I tell you, Peter, 70 times seven now, that's not for everything I need to forgive, but there are some things that hurt so deeply that a single process of reframing, one click of the shutter, is not going to change the picture enough. And so when it comes roaring back, I need to forgive it again. I need to reframe it again. And to use my illustration, you know, I didn't just simply wake up in the morning and say, okay, I forgive. And all of a sudden, like a cloud, it just lifted and my life was sunshine and wonderful and <laughs> I never thought about it again. Right. No, that, that's not reality. The reality is those thoughts come back and they come back. But here's, here's something very hopeful. I tell this story now. So obviously I'm repeating the story, but if you've heard in my voice, there's no emotion. There's no anger. There's no hurt showing in my voice. I'm sharing it as an illustration because it makes sense. It works. And that's why when, when I do forgiveness programs, I show videos of other people who have been through very profound things. Uh, one young man was in prison for 17 years because of an unfortunate situation. And, and, and he was deported out of the country and sent back to Australia. And there he found forgiveness and his life changed. There are thousands and literally hundreds of thousands and millions of stories Nelson Mandela in South Africa, Martin Luther King in the south of this country, Muhammad Gandhi in India. You go around the world and there are stories of people whose lives were profoundly changed, even though they had been terribly abused, even though there was societal ills and personal damage that was done to them. They made the decision not to be trapped by others' behaviors towards them, mm -hmm. rather to find freedom by practicing forgiveness. So, so when Christ told Peter 70 times seven, don't get discouraged. Forgiveness for deep wounded hurts doesn't happen overnight. But the good news is every time you forgive it, you're taking one more shade of darkness away and it becomes brighter. Stay with it, keep doing it. Why? Because it works. It has worked for me. It has worked for millions of others. And here's the good news. It will, not maybe, it will work for you if you stay true to, true to the process and don't give up. And by the way, it doesn't get worse. It gets better. Stay with it. You will experience it for yourself. And I want to encourage our listeners that if you have been damaged by someone else, if you have a story of hurt and pain and suffering that's affecting you, you don't need to live with it another day. You can choose today to forgive that event. Practice the principles we've shared in this podcast. Um, read my book if, if you need more insights. But don't give up. 
It works. I've had tens of thousands of people go through my seminar and there are there are stories every single seminar I do there are stories to share of people who have found strength have found hope and have found peace through the healing power of forgiveness. Amen. And I like that too because you know a lot of what we talk about in this podcast is the fact that um we're on a journey and uh yeah. And we want to be ready when Jesus comes. You know, we want to, you know, the Bible talks about um, one of the factors that uh, describes um, people who aren't ready in Matthew 24. It says that, that the servants get drunk with the drunkards and beat their fellow servants. And I think that has a lot to do with not dealing with forgiveness, not um, recognizing um, the importance of of the process of of not just revenge and, and, and fighting amongst ourselves, but forgiving each other, loving each other, and staying sober to the reality of the day. And and a lot of the reason we get quote-unquote drunk, and that's a metaphor, I think, for just not wanting to deal with the problem and using other substances to try to cover that up, I think it's because yeah. we we avoid it. And, and so part of following Jesus is... Um, not just forgiving once, not twice, like you said, but it's it's a daily uh, experience of forgiveness and being forgiven. And I think that's that's part of the the call to discipleship. And so, just as we um, kind of conclude the episode today, um, you know, just for yourself, how how do you see forgiveness connecting to being ready for Jesus and and ultimately the picture that is painted. Um, in the book of Revelation for that that city of and that new society where we're all one humanity together uh, and uh, and living eternity with God. Yes, because it really does have to do with uh, not only life on this earth, but eternal life. So um, I can forgive and live and live an abundant life on this earth, live free from uh, anger and hurt, live free from disease and mental depression. Forgiveness can free me on this earth, but it also is the essential ingredient for eternal life because there is no salvation without forgiveness. There is no possibility. And and why? Is that because God wants us to be dependent on him and say, I've got something that if you want, you better be nice. No, 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 no. It's because forgiveness is the only way that we can live together with one another Mm -hmm. because without forgiveness, we could get into heaven and all of a sudden I could see somebody that did something mean to me, you know, when I was here on this earth and I look at them and I say, man, I don't like you. You know, I'm going to, well, if, if that happens in heaven, then we just repeated earth and heaven all over again. Right. Sin will end. And what ends sin? Forgiveness. Amen. Amen. There is no other way. That's why Christ came to the cross that's why Christ, I had Adam and Eve slay a lamb. He says, death is the requirement of sin, but I will die so that you can have life. And the only thing that I ask is that you, for, you know, the, the famous prayer, Lord, help us to forgive others as we ourselves are forgiven. It goes both ways. Travis, I think I'll end with this. I, I, I want to help people understand how important it is that you make this decision to forgive. It's a true story. Two Prisoners of war were standing at the Vietnam Memorial. Both of them had gone through the same torture. Both of them had 
every reason in the world to be angry and bitter about what happened to them. Uh, the, it was it was an unpleasant experience in the extreme to be tortured in those bamboo cages uh, in North Vietnam. And 25 years later, these two former POWs who had been through the same experience were standing before the memorial and, and reading names of friends that had died and given their life for this country. And one of the POWs turns to his friend and asks this crucial question. Have you forgiven your captors yet? Huh. The other friend turned around on his heels and with anger and emotion in his voice says, no, never. I will never, ever forgive them for what they have done to me. Well, his friend wanting to help him because he realized that this man had lived 25 years of misery and, and a miserable life filled with hate and resentment. And he said to his fellow person, remember, they've both been through the same experience together and said to him these words then I guess they still have you in prison, don't they? You see, when we fail to forgive, we're locked into our own prison of resentment and bitterness and despair. And all the while, we have the key in our hand. We're waiting for someone else to do something. We're waiting for someone else to, to set us free, to say kind words to us, to, to say they're sorry. We're waiting for all this to happen. And meanwhile, we're caged in our own bitterness and resentment. And this story illustrates forgiveness for me because all along, I've got the key to set me free. It's in my hand. I just need to choose to use it. What is that key? It's called forgiveness. And when I apply forgiveness to my life, I am truly set free from the prison of bitterness and disdain and despair. So I want to encourage our listeners to not blame others for the prison that you find yourself in, for the cage that you find your life captured in, but rather empower yourself. Utilize what we've shared with you on this podcast. Take that key called forgiveness and apply it to your life because that is the key to opening the door and setting you free. All right. Well, thank you again for listening to another episode of Adventology. I hope you were blessed. I know I was and challenged to not let bitterness and resentment remain another day in our life. I encourage you to reach out to Dick. Uh, we put all the links in the show notes as to how you can connect with him. I encourage you to go out and buy his book, Forgive to Live. Um, connect to one of the workshops or seminars that may be happening in, in your community. Um, I also want to encourage you to share this episode with someone that you may feel would benefit from learning about this process of forgiveness. So again, please uh, rate or review us. Um, subscribe if you haven't done so already. Uh, we really appreciate all the feedback that we get from you. I want to encourage you to reach out to me at Travis at Adventology.com if you have suggestions or comments or a testimony about how this podcast has blessed you. It really warms my heart to hear back from you and, and how certain episodes have encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. So I hope you have a wonderful day. I look forward to seeing you back here next week for another episode of Adventology. But until then... Maranatha.